You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to the Elevator's Cut. I'm Jason Wheeler. We've got Roger Gaddis at this end. All right. We're glad everybody's back. We've got a, a great topic on hand for today, and this one, uh, this is a Roger's choice today. So, well, Roger, it, let us know. I'm just the, the vessel of the message, like an envelope in the mail, if you will. I just bring the good word. And today's good word comes from our fantastic followers on Ag Twitter. Uh, this is one guy that we know pretty well, uh, Colin Wilson. And uh, this stems from a conversation from a, a little while ago where we were talking about um, there was this idea of how tough it is. Or someone made the comment about, I don't even know how to throw out a bid for the farmers that are asking me to uh, give them a number for next year's crop or whatever it is. Because there's no resale value, so how do you do it? And anyway, it brought up this topic of, well, what do you do? How do you come up with deferred bids? And, and someone made the comment on the thread that, hey, it sounds like you got a great opportunity to be a market maker. And so that's the name of today's podcast, Market Makers. What is it? How do you get to be one? And uh, is it as cool as all the kids say? Okay, so Roger, when you say market maker, what uh, that, can, that can mean a lot of things and a lot of different businesses. But but for, for our purposes, what do you mean? Sure. So, uh, and, and again, to get back to Colin's point, is um, he made the comment that he had talked to um, a, a merchandiser, been in the business a long time, and, and this particular individual told him, said, you know, one of the, the best things about this job is is when you get to the point to be a market maker. And um, so, so we wanted to unpack that a little bit today. And what does that mean? So essentially, uh, in, in this instance, it was it was the downstream uh, market for the bushel from the elevator on. And um, it was a case where if you've got an, a, a buyer, a good enough relationship with some buyers out there, whether they're new or just need some help with their jobs, um, they will talk to local merchandisers and point blank ask them, what do I need to be bidding to get grain to move? And there, you know, this sounds maybe strange or collusional, whatever you want to call it, but there's those relationships that exist out there. And we've got several customers that, you know, I've talked to uh, over the years that tell their stories of being uh, market makers for their particular market in that sense. It's not like they control everything or sell every bushel in there, but they have a good enough relationship with the end users or some of the end users that that's the, what their discussions they know what maybe resale values are or replacement values are, but they want to know what it takes locally to get stuff to move. They go to the local market maker. Yeah. And it, so it, it's a relationship thing. It comes out with, the, uh, it's an established credibility. You have a, a level of respect that you, that you garner over time. And I, I always like to to hear those stories. Uh, so, uh, so for our purposes, market makers, we're talking about from the from the grain elevator seat. As as a lot of stuff we talk about is from the grain elevator seat. How can you be a market maker? Because I know you know they they throw that term around in the futures market and stuff like that. Um, we're not talking about that. We're we're just talking about how you can go out there and help uh, help guide opinion. So if you think about it, and and this goes back to a lot of merchandisers feel like, oh, that person works for ABC company. They know a lot more than me because it's a 
gigantic company. And true, it is a gigantic company. And that company as a whole may may know a lot of things about what's going on in other countries and logistically and, and all sorts of uh, sorts of things. But the person you're specifically talking to is probably not the case. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of folks have the experiences with the guys that come and you finally get a, a decent relationship with and then they're gone again and you know they're switching out every 18 months two years or something. well uh because of that they once they once they recognize that you have traded this market for 12 years or 25 years or whatever it is uh, they say you know this this person might have a a grasp of this market better than i have so whether you know it or not they a lot oftentimes do and so that that's where we we get these conversations of, you know, last year I called you um, twenty days after harvest and I offered you twenty over and you said that's crazy. It's you know I'm looking for fifty over, and you know when you say that sort of thing, it's crazy because on that day there's no thirty cent push and it, you know that's not what it's going to take. And I'm sure that that guy could could buy grain at twenty over that day, um, but lo and behold. You know, 60, 90 days later, here he was at 50 over. And um, you do that enough times, and guys are like, hmm, when the bosses are calling me in to have me do projection numbers on the year, and I got to know, have a guess for what I'm going to pay, you know, that uh, that lady, that guy that I call every year that that tells me this stuff, maybe I should just ask them before <laughs> I go to it, right? Right, sure, and that's, that's what happens. And just this week, the conversation with a customer down in Georgia and, and he was telling, we was talking about, you know, at, you know, post harvest this coming season and what it's going to look like. And, you know, a lot of, you know, just trying to throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks, but he's got us, he's got a number. He once says, you know, if I, I'm looking for 85 over fob and it should get there. And they usually get there later in the year, most years, but you know, with the supply situation looking like and the Eastern corn and all this stuff, it may be happening earlier. That's where I'm at right now. It's like a 70 over fob, so it's, you know, 15 cents just away. But he talked to his buyer and told him, said, this is what I'm looking to sell. And they, you know, all but admitted, said, well, yeah, it probably will get there, but we're not going to pay that today. He's fine. He's got to stand in order with them. And then when they are able to get to that point, he's probably at the top of the list to get that number sold. That's huge. That's huge. So that that's part and parcel. Knowing your number is, is, is very important, um, not, not just for you and your business, but you know, guides expectations on the, on the other end of it. So a lot of these end users they're uh, they know they have to use grain every day of the year, but many times bid wise, they're, I mean, what's right in front of me. I'm focused on here and now and sometimes lose sight of stuff. And, you know, folks that's been doing this a long time that know the numbers they've paid. Um, you know, it's just not where they're focused at. So they're not thinking about it. Right. And, and we see that in, in lots of markets. The futures market is a great example. You, you see all the, where's all the volume? Well, it's in the nearby month. That's where, that's where folks are trading. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it makes sense. You know, farmer is, has maybe he's held grain until this date or whatever, but they're waiting for today because they're going to sell in the present, you know, and then they're, they're going to um, go ahead and make, make the sale in the spot market a lot of times. So, um, so that makes sense. But to some extent, is is if you can go out a little farther, there one may not be thinking about that time period, and there may not be a lot of bids even out there. So that's to, so the point to the point of hey, we're making the market. If if a buyer's got a bid for this month 
and two months out and three months out and four months out, and you ask them, hey, what about 16 months out? <laughs> what do you got? Uh, what? You know, uh, and they don't have anything. They don't have anything sold. They don't have any, you know, there's no push on them right now to get something or sorry, sold. I, the buyer would be buying it. Um, they don't have that on them, but you know, if you, if you're willing to put a number out there, maybe, you know, where, where do negotiations start? Well, wherever the first number gets mm-hmm. put, if he doesn't have an idea, put a number out there. Say, Hey, we normally get to here. Here's what I, here's what the market structure is. I think this would be a good number to have sold. Would you be interested in buying it? It's amazing how the market goes to the number like that. Like, like you said, you know, in the, in the, on the future side of things, you put out a spread order out there for something deferred off and you there's not much volume, but if you put an order out there, there's a good chance the market will come to you. The other thing I've heard people do um, that's had some success with their buyers is they just flat out ask them, where, where is your book light is what they say. You know, where, where do you have a need that you'd like to get some coverage bought that, Hey, maybe it's a, a long ways out and you're not real worried about it, but you'd like to have, you know, maybe it's six months from now, you'd, you've got 4% of your needs bought and you'd like to normally have 10 or something like that at this point or whatever the number is where you light and okay, what's your bid? And let's see if we, you know, at that point, they, one, they got a lot of time for things to change. So they've got room to move around a little bit. They would like to have some more ownership in that slot. So maybe they'd come, come to you. So, so it's a, a lot of good things can happen when you're having those forward conversations. You know, and then conversations in the past with some of these guys, um, you know, they're happy just to get coverage on. Like you said, cause you're just going to set basis that far out anyway, uh, a, a lot of times. Right. And uh, they're, they're, they're tickled to death to get coverage on it. The numbers they you know, if they understand their numbers and what they usually get to, they'll set stuff out there. You know, mm-hmm. it'll happen. You know, and there's a lot of the, the bigger cross country slash reseller guys out here that do that with a lot of the poultry companies or stuff like that. They'll go and put up six month book on a year out just to get some slots covered. Cause they know grain's going to be running in and I know they can get a number here. And it, like you said, it gives them time to arbitrage the, the number uh, around things that change that, that will change, but they're comfortable taking it. So being a market maker on, on that side, uh, that that's kind of where that falls in. And it's, it's a relationship thing. It's like we say all the time. It's, it's a relationship deal. Now <clears throat> the other side or Avenue, I guess of this uh, Twitter uh, conversation was, making a market for your farmers, yeah. you know, out there. And I think this is really where it stemmed from. It was, hey, we've got all these rallies happening, even next year stuff rallying. And, hey, what would you pay me for wheat in 2020? Well, we haven't even got wheat 19 harvested yet. I haven't, you know, typically, you know, there's not a lot of folks that have outstanding bids a year out. It should be, but there's not always. And, and so that was the idea. Well, you can either tell the farmer, I don't know, and let's just watch it. Or you can have a number and let them choose if they want to watch it or sell it. You know, it's still their choice. But, you know, if you're a buyer, if you're an elevator, you should always be buying grain. You should always have a bid. Even if no one else does, even if there's not something you get out there and resell it, well, how do you come up with a number? Well, you go off your history. You go and see what your market usually bears. You take a look at what basis history is in your particular market for whatever slot the farmer's looking for a bid for. Figure on, see what spreads are doing out there, or what you can lock in on spreads even. You get a number. I mean, it's just like harvest. You, you know, most places usually are within a nickel or dime of whatever their harvest basis gets to every year. And probably for any other delivery period. 
So the further out you are, you, maybe you cushion it a little. You add a 10 or 15 cent cushion to it uh, to cover the unknowns if you want. Yeah. And there's your number. There's a number. If no one else has got a bid out there, now you've got a number. You've got a bid. You've got something you'd be comfortable owning regardless, you know, a year out. Yeah. It's pretty and, easy. And you're, you know, as a grain elevator, you're in the customer service business. Your farmer is asking for that service. You provide it for them. And, and you know, if we're talking about a two year, two crop years out type of a number or something, even not that far, but just where, where there's no other bids, it's hard to get a, a resale value or whatever. You're still making a market like, like Roger said, based on traditional. So you can go out and say, let's see, I'm you, I average around 35 under for new crop. I've never been less than 50 under for new crop or whatever. You know, you can go off your own histories. And so you say, Hey, I'd be comfortable owning 50 under, or maybe that is, if it's a really long time, I'm going to have to carry a margin position. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm 60 under, but you give them a market. And oftentimes they're asking for that. Why? Because prices are high. Right. And so you're letting them get a good price locked in and you're getting a good basis, which is, which is, that's, that's the name of the game, right? Take care of both sides of the, of the coin. And that's a position that I'd contend only the merchandising elevator can, can, can fulfill. And it's the same thing. You would buy and sell or match it up. If you're making a forward market for for your end user, it's going to be a basis only deal more than likely. If you're making a market for your producer, it's a cash market probably. You know, again, right. just because of the market signals, there's a big rally and the board's up. They want to see what kind of cash price can I lock in when you're providing that. And so those are things that, you know, a year out or two years out, it's not always easy for the farmer direct end user to be able to do that just because pricing policies. But as, as merchandising elevator, you perfectly adept and fit to do that so you know we talked about the 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 deferred numbers you know forward making a market uh but uh, you know on the end user side that doesn't always have to be a deferred number a lot of times that can even be spot i'm just thinking about stories from customers where they'll have a a buyer call them you know what does it take to get grain to move this week i I didn't have a train show up or whatever you know and something like that whether it's a mayday or whatever it is to help out and they're going to go talk to people they know that's going to give them a good number. It may be high, but it's not some kind of crazy outlandish thing. You know, they're, they're looking for help. And you, you're generally not going to hang people out over a barrel when they need help. You're going to, hey, I know this is what it takes. Here's what my resale value is over to the next market over less freight. You know, whatever the adjustment is, they're going to turn to a knowledgeable source to help them figure out what they need to pay to get their needs covered. Right. And, yeah, at that point, like you said, you could – really just stick it to them because you know they got to pay and whatever. But but like everything else, this is a long-term business, the relationships. And yeah, okay, you know, I got to pay whatever I have to pay today. All right, I could, you could make me pay you an extra 30 cents today, and I'd probably pretty much have to pay it. But you're the last person I'm ever calling next time this happens or or, or just in the future going to give you any pushes or want to work with you, you know. But if, you, if you're doing what Roger says, all right, I can sell it here if we – Freight difference is this. I'll you just pay that rate. If you can do, I mean, you the guy will love you. You you bailed him out, and you're not holding him over over a barrel for it. And the the great thing is what what I've seen a lot of our customers do is say, hey, this is I'm just going to pay you market rate today, or, or sorry, sell it to you market rate today, um, and that's fine. But let's also talk about this slot mm-hmm. a year out because I've been trying to get something on. I've got an offer in it. 42 over and you're at 35 can we go ahead and get that done you know something like yeah, that paired up you know there's the the world of negotiating 
for for bids and deliveries is is endless. I mean, it's, it's whatever you need it to be. But uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for working together with folks instead of just bashing each other's brains out over stuff. I think back to uh, a time when <laughs> it was, I guess, 10 years, 10, 11 years ago now, where we had this situation where everybody stopped giving forward bids <laughs> mm-hmm. in 08, 07, 08. Market goes screaming up. Everybody's got margin calls out their ears. Their bankers are telling them to, you know, get into repos or lift your positions and take a chance or you're out of money or, you know, all this craziness. Lift your positions and take a bath. Yeah. (sighs) At the very least, they're telling them you can't do any more of this, you Mm -hmm. know, quit having forward bids. Don't bid for next year, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, but the guys who had their stuff together, so for one, even traditionally, I could I know what a resale value is for next harvest. This you know ne- next harvest because everybody's got something for that. I could call ADM or you know Cargill or any of the big guys, and and they got something because they got exports and they got you know they and they know their stuff. So I can use it. Well, even those guys at that point, I mean, everybody had the same problem. Some people had more zeros on the end, you know, pretty much. And those guys were like, Nah, we're we're not putting numbers out there. We, well, they got to deal with the fire at hand, you know. So um, the elevators that were in a financial position to do so did do that. And then they made their own markets out there. Sure. And and what what happened? You think, you think, oh, these guys, you guys, you know, don't hold people over a barrel, but they were taking big basis. Well, they had to because they had massive margin calls coming at them. They were having to pay interest on. So they took a little lower basis than normal. But guess what? In 08, we had the weird thing of not only do we have crazy new level high prices, we also had carry in the market all the way out. So so the number, the cash numbers they were doing were some of the best numbers right. ever. And by the time we got to 09, if you remember, we grew a crop and everything and the funds had exited or whatever it was that happened. I don't get into all that. I don't know. But the market was way back down. It, it was, you know, six, seven dollars in 08 and it was three or four dollars yeah. in 09. And the guy, the the elevators that were out there and willing to make a market for their farmers that really wanted it. And their farmers got to sell that 08 number for two years. Right. So it's, it's huge. Yeah. And it kept, I mean, we're talking millions upon millions of dollars in small communities that, that was able to, to be kept there. One, because farmers got fantastic prices compared to what they would have got otherwise. Yeah, a dollar better over. Yeah, you know, basis is less, but they got a dollar better over. So that's, right. that's a net win. They got a whole bunch more. And the elevators had a whole bunch of good basis bought going into harvest that they could make money on. So it, uh, it was your, your classic business win-wins there yeah. and i could i could remember too you know still at the elevator at the time guys coming in asking for those two you know it was like as soon as that futures comes on the board we'll make a bid for it you know type of mentality let's get something out there because it's high it may not always be here let's try to at least offer something and then you know if we had guys it just happened more than once I, you know it's a lot you're usually 20 under and you're bidding 50 under what is that all about it's like well you know you can always go open your own futures account and do this yourself if you'd like. I didn't have anybody take up on that. <laughs> For whatever reason, that <clears throat> you know, I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons, but it, you know, that, that opportunity exists. You could put your hedge on it. Some people do. But in this case, if I was going to make a market for it, I was going to get paid for it. I was going to get paid for the service I was providing and, and, and make it to where it would work. Uh, and it did. And 
any of those guys, by the time they were delivering those higher price bushels the following two years, I didn't hear any complaints about anything regarding those sales other than wish I'd sold more. You know, there, there's something to be said for having a number out in these you know deferred periods um, that where nothing exists and you put that first number in and there's a certain je ne sais quoi about that number, right, Jason? You speak French. You know what I just said. It's the it's the negotiating one on one, right? You want to be the throw the first number out and have the uh, have the benchmark set, uh, whether right. it's real or not, right? Right, which we've talked about a little bit uh, in in the episode, but I wanted to to drill down a little more on on some of the ways you can do that and some of the ways you can help your customers do that as a as an elevator. Um, one thing is guys have <laughs> there's always the the guy, hey, what's your what's your board price today? Uh, four seventeen. All right. Well, call me when it gets to five and a half dollars, five fifty, or five bucks, or whatever it is. You know, the call me when it gets to ugh, the, those guys. But um, which so it, it's the the idea of getting a, a more firm offer. And when we go out into deferred slots, just like we talked about, the the nearby futures have all the volume. Well, the deferred stuff doesn't have as much volumes, and we've seen it time and time again. Uh, amongst our customers putting in open orders for their farmers who are doing uh trying to get targets set for a long time out is is uh eventually the market can move to the orders is what we like to say the there's a there's an ebb and flow to our open order deck right it can there are times when it's huge which is a couple months ago it's huge prices have been low forever but eventually prices will stay low forever and and they move up and the ones who have orders in get filled and the ones that don't when it gets to the high number they think "Mm, might go a little more please and um maybe it does uh, but do they sell it then no they probably still think it's going more you know so so that is that's the that's the constant thing we we get in but but a lot of guys i i talk to them and and say hey today you know my price is 382 and this guy comes in and i mean this is the case of as recent as a few months ago, you know, we're 380 today or less. And this guy, cause he wants $5 and he, you know, I guess I'll put this, I, they'll, they'll call it. I guess I'll put this in. I don't know why it's stupid. It'll never get there. Well, you don't know that. And, uh, if he's putting it out for, for a year or two out, give it time to work. And the other thing is let, and this is what I wanted to say for this one being market maker episode is let your farmers be market makers because they can be market makers in those deferred slots with orders. When those, when when you're way out and people are like, you know, people look to that market whenever it comes about, and they say, hey, what are the bids and the offers? Well, if there's not many out there, you could be one of those, <laughs> you know, you could be the bid or, or the offer, I guess. So that is, that's something to not not scoff at and put the orders in. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks will just collect them and say, "All right, this is two dollars out. I'm not. I'll you know I'll put these in if we get because I don't want to have to change it because my base has changed. I'll have to change them. And I'll put it in because let your farmer be the market maker. It's my thought. Sure, you know putting those in. You know there's something to be said that of the cost of waiting and and watching and seeing. You know, and we all know the cost is just typically in action, but uh, in this instance, it's the fact that you're giving the market a, a non-signal when you have that, well, the selling point in mind, but you're not willing to stick it, uh, you know, out there to have someone, you know, take the other side of it. 
So that's a very good point. And I, I don't think a lot of producers realize that. I don't think a lot of grain uh, elevator folks know that or look at it in those terms. And you should, you know, because again, this is a function of the market, how it's supposed to act and react. That's right. And, and another thing from the elevator standpoint that, that they need to take more advantage of being market maker is spreads, mm-hmm. deferred spreads. Uh, so as, as thin as it, as the market is two years out for a specific futures month, it's crazy thin to almost non-existent for some of the deferred. If you go two years out, three years out, there there can be a lot of a lot of thin. But but you don't have to go that far out um, to be to be one of the only people out there with with a with a bid with an offer yeah. on a spread. Sure. Yeah. If you know fourteen D smarts, corn is going to work for you every year. Put it out there every year. Have it standing out there. Let it fill. Whether it goes up from there or not, that's a that's a good level. And even if it's a starting point, great. Hey, if it's the high, great. I got the high. Either way, it's a good deal. Yeah. I remember, Roger, when you were at the elevator, you would always call me about the Sep D's corn spread because that's one that, that worked for you guys a lot, whether it was extreme one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, because you bought a lot right there early at, at harvest or right around the roll time for Sep D. So, um so you could manage how you're going to handle that crop based on based on that spread or based on your position you had over that spread. So it was very very key. And I yeah, Roger would call me up two three years out. Sep D said, "Hey, do you see what the Sep D said? Whatever year you know it was, those were years ago. Yeah. But but uh, but yeah, it was two three years out. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and but you that was the only time to take advantage of it because if you got within eight months of it, it's gone. You know, by the time you had a lot of knowns. So there's, yeah, there's a trade-off. There's a lot of unknowns a year out, two years out. But again, we're not putting on 100% of needs. We're we're taking some prudent action to get some things locked in. That's going to better our position by the time we get to harvest of that year. It's the same stuff we tell farmers. And, and this, just like farmers rebut with, I don't know if I'll be growing stuff in or what if I'm dead? And, oh, I get it. You know, let's deal with that when we get there. But if you know, there's something that you want to take off the table out ahead of time, consider doing it. Take some off. Same same concept. You're going to have your purchases and your sales that you make every year. You know, good year, bad year. Otherwise, farmers have have their general patterns, which influences your general patterns of when you are obviously when you're going to buy, but also when you can make sales. Mm-hmm. And based on when guys like to run uh, stuff out of their bins, all, all sorts of things, you have a lot more. Um, a lot more consistency in the the grain flow at your elevator than than you probably realize, and, and that's been my experience. When you sit down and talk with folks, they're like, you know, we're all over the map. We've had this year, that mm-hmm. kind of year, all sorts of. You get the DPRs out, <laughs> and you go through the monthly grain flow, and um, you know, with these accounting systems now, it's not that hard to do. Right, uh, you can really get some really impactful numbers and make decisions on. Um, pretty, pretty. Uh, pretty consistently no matter high price years low price years bad crop years good crop years it's you'd be surprised at the consistency of one farmers and their selling patterns and when they need money i mean those those are pretty consistent and also when your basis is good or bad or otherwise and so how you move grain uh, is pretty consistent so because of that you can go out there and have some confidence about, mm-hmm. hey, if I do this every year, what would be ideal? If I'm going to buy a whole bunch of grain versus Deese and I always sell it versus May futures, what do you need? You need the Deese May spread. How much do you need? 
well, the farmer answer and everybody answer, I guess, all I can get, right? So th- if you're the only order out there and you put in, you know, something aggressive, hey, maybe you could, maybe you get some one day. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and that's always a quest is to, to be proactive and getting those pieces knocked out before you get there. Just no one likes trading the spot market. It's usually, you know, the, the least profitable time to trade all around is the spot market. So, again, making the markets, uh, it's good for you. It's good for customers both upstream and downstream when done right. And and the folks that I've seen that do it right, that's awesome. And they, they love their job. It's great. So with that, I think we've uh, covered market makers pretty good. Not not exhaustively, of course, in 30 minutes or however long on here. But uh, I think it gives some stuff for people to think about. And, uh, again, if you've got any other ideas on it or if we glazed over something, uh, let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter, at Hogwheeler, at WeevilHog, at Elevators Cut. Um, let us know what you think. Or if you got ideas for other episodes, let us know. We're always uh, looking for input from uh, the audience. And if you haven't listened to a lot of our other episodes, feel free to go back, peruse some, and and uh, check those out. And and please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, like us, share us, that sort of thing. And, and if you like us, tell other other folks about us. And, and we appreciate y'all word. listening. Spread the word. So that'll, that'll do it for today. So for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.